Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right, if kids would like to head out, they can do that now. All right. So as we are continuing in the book of Mark, seeking how to follow our king, we reach uh, what most agree is uh, the most difficult uh, section of Mark, chapter 13. Now, I'm telling you that to give myself a pass and uh, to give you somewhat of a pass. Uh, this, is, this is one of the most controversial and argued about passages in the book of Mark and this kind of same section in the other uh, synoptic gospels as well. So uh, I'm going try to try to be clear about the things that are clear, and there might be some fuzzy things that uh, still linger out there. Uh, that's going to be the case, and we're going to have to live with that. Uh, but uh, the clear thing here is that we have a prophecy from Jesus. We have this great prophecy that, that changes redemptive history, that, that changes the way that we interact with God as a whole, and it'll change the kind of the future outplaying of relationships with God. And the, the issue is that how, how do the disciples interact with this prophecy? What struggles come up as they try to wrap their heads around what Jesus is really saying? And so Jesus, he kind of shepherds his, his disciples through you know, dealing with this prophecy, what it means and what it doesn't mean, what the implications are. We're going to see them struggle with uh, kind of prematurely thinking that this, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Getting it too soon, they're going to struggle with assumptions that what Jesus is saying means, means rescue from all suffering and just a life of, of blessing and of ease. There's going to be temptation not to heed the warning, not to take it seriously enough. And in all those things, uh, Jesus is warning his disciples so that they might receive the prophecy and might actually do something about it. Now, the prophecy that we're going to be dealing with uh, in Mark 13, it's primarily, it's already fulfilled. It was fulfilled in that generation. They saw the prophecy and then 40 years later, about 40 years later, they saw it come to pass, quite literally. And so, this is not necessarily a prophecy for us, but we have our own prophecy. We're not dealing with uh, Jerusalem and the temple. Instead, we're dealing with the prophecy primarily that, that Jesus is going to come again. He has promised that. And so we want to apply the same principles and the same temptations that the disciples fell into when they heard about the temple and apply those to our Receiving of prophecy, our interpretation of the signs and the times, our interaction with the, the promises about the future, and see how we might be protected and shepherded by, by Jesus as a whole. So let's read Mark 13, verses 1 through 31. Mark 13, verses 1 through 31. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as they saw, sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter 
And James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will take, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the, the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judah, or Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the rooftop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord God had not cut off or cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, here he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you, all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will, give its, will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will shake. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also... When you see these things taking place, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus as the great prophet who has come to to pronounce the future and then to fulfill it. We thank you that he has led us into a new place of, of interacting with you, a new place in redemptive history. We ask that we might receive it. Father, we ask that you might guide us with your word, that we might heed it, that we might 
correctly interpret the signs that we may be ready for your return, even as these disciples need to get ready for the destruction of the temple. Father, would you help us? Would you guide us? Holy Spirit, would you not let the words go out in vain? Would you use your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so let's start, let's start with looking at this, this prophecy in context. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. All right, so the disciple, he's leaving, he's leaving the temple and he's walking through these, these towering pillars and colonnades. And these were beautiful, wonderful buildings. All right, I'm not sure if these stats are correct. This is, this is what Google told me. Uh, all right, so this is a clearing of a mountain for 25 football fields of temple, of the Temple Mount. There, there were stones that were 50 tons. These are, these are enormous, grand, beautiful buildings that evoke awe in this disciple. And yet, I, I remind us of where we are in context here. Jesus has been through battle after battle with the religious leaders who are the, the governors of this temple. And he's been constantly calling them out for being hypocrites. For not wanting anything to do with God, but for just wanting to promote their own self-righteousness and put themselves on display. They have this great outward show of holiness and reverence and obedience, but in their hearts, there's, there's nothing there. They are whitewashed tombs. Inside, there's only death. And we start to see that, as beautiful as these buildings are on the outside, that the temple itself is, is the perfect symbol of, of what has happened to faith in Jerusalem, that they embody the religious leaders who rule over them. The temple is, is not this place that is filled with holiness or righteousness or love towards God. It is just this outward show where you make sacrifices to, to put yourself on display. And you make great shows of, of long prayers and great holiness. And people who are supposed to come and be drawn into uh, worship with God are instead, they're completely alienated. The nations aren't allowed to come. The, the hurting and the broken aren't allowed to come. No, it's become this place where self-righteousness and cold-hearted religious transactions happen. And so, Jesus, he, he, he watches his disciple get kind of drawn into the facade. And he's awed by the outward appearance. And in reality, it's completely empty. Now, one commentator, he points out that uh, that verse 13, it says that he, he came out of the temple, that Jesus is, is leaving this temple complex and he will, he will not return again. And he's saying that like, this is, this is a, an allusion to the fact that before the destruction of the temple, 
In the Old Testament, what happened? The glory of God left the temple. And in this moment, Jesus, the great Son of God, the, the great high priest, the embodied, glorious, divine one, he leaves the temple. And that is his, his first judgment against the temple that the temple itself has rejected him. The religious leaders have rejected him, and he is moving out of it. Now, as we think about this, uh, we wonder, right, are we like this disciple? Are we distracted by the outward appearance? Are we excited about the things that look glorious, but, but miss the, the true heart of worship, the the intentions of the heart, the true delight in God? Are we content with just kind of mausoleums? Are we content with our own hearts? Being dead inside but putting on a good show. All right, Jesus is not content with that. And to show how discontent Jesus is with that, he will destroy this temple. And he prophetically, he, he curses it in this great prophecy. And Jesus said to him, Do you see this, these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It will not. It will not be left as it is. And the era, the, the, the period of the temple and meeting God in his temple, and the holiness surrounding the temple, it will end definitively. He will bring it to an end. And that will change all of redemptive history. That will change all of the interactions that the people have with God. This is, this is changing everything. This is a mind-blowing change on an epic scale. This is a, this is a great and incisive prophecy. And his disciples, they're, they're kind of shattered by it. And they're shooken up by it. And so they, they go to Jesus and they, they ask, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? All right, they're reeling to understand what, what does this mean for us? How do we live our lives in light of this prophecy now? And Jesus, he's going to go on, and next week we'll look at the, the times. But right now, we're looking, we're looking at the signs. What are the signs that are going to happen before the destruction of the temple that are going to help them prepare themselves to heed the warning? First, Jesus is going to warn them of kind of hastily running into this and interpreting the signs and for, as fulfillment. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famine. These are about the beginning of the birth pains. All right, Jesus starts with the signs that they're not supposed to eat. Signs that look like the end has come. There's trouble and calamity. And they hear, they hear, the, they're going to hear the sky is falling. 
The sky is falling. Everyone, run for your lives. And what is he saying? Don't listen to them. Do not listen to them because they, they're missing and misinterpreting the signs. They're rushing into this, this disaster mentality. And in doing that, they're, they're going to get the timeline wrong. Right. They're going to be ready at the wrong time. There is a time where they need to be ready, and they won't be ready. They'll be preemptive, and they'll miss it. Or they'll get so wrapped up in the, in the disaster, and they'll say, the time is now, the time is now. And then you get resentful towards God and say, well, why, why didn't he come? I thought he was supposed to come now. I, I, thought, I thought he was supposed to save us from all of this. Where is he? What's he doing? Maybe he's not going to come at all. Maybe the prophecy isn't going to come true. He's, Jesus is trying to protect the hearts of his disciples. That they wouldn't be, be anxious and disappointed and frustrated with their God because they misunderstood. We have these great words that, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When it comes to prophecy, we can have sick hearts because we, we put our hope in things too soon. We let our hearts get wrapped up and our, our anxiety builds about things that, that are not yet. Now for the disciples, the temptation is to get excited about the, the destruction of the temple too soon. But for you and I, it's, it's the second coming that we can get wrapped up in and, and we can get disappointed that he hasn't come yet. All right, I want to remind us that some of you have not heeded this warning well. And that all too easily you get all wrapped up and anxious about this life. And that the emotional tr- like troubles in your life get you calling out like, no, it's just, the end has come, the end has come. Save me, save me. All right, the end has not come. Or with every news cycle, where th- we think there's apocalypse coming. I know some of you are like that. <laughs> I see it. All right. Uh, and you start crying. Like the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and... And running around like chickens with your head off. And where, where is God? And, all right. What is that? That's, that's false prophets and fear mongers and people who would have you think that there are these, this great hope that hasn't come yet and, and we need to be patient. All right. He will come. But he won't come on our, on our grounds. He won't come just because we, we think it's bad enough. We have to be patient. And we have to trust him. And, all right, just, all right, I think, of, I think of Revelation. All right, this is everyone's favorite one. The mark of the beast. All right, in your own lifetime, how many marks of the beast have come? 
yeah, you could probably count them. And it's like, like Y2K, that's probably the first one I remember. Like, oh, the mark of the beat. Uh, uh, like, lost dog tracking chips. It's like, oh, that's, uh, they're going to put them in us next. And then, <laughs> Apple Pay, you know, like, there's a reading heart. They won't be able to pay for anything. Like, the, the credit card chips. Like, there's people who are like, all right, the COVID vaccine, they're the mark of the beast. And we get all riled up, and, and the end is near, the end has come. And then, and then we realize that, no, like, we created that end. We misinterpreted the signs. We got all anxious and worked up, and, and life continues. All right. We need to steady ourselves. All right. I understand that to live in uncertainty and to, to live in patiently is anxiety-provoking, and we don't like it. All right. Please do not misinterpret the signs. You're going to going to buy trouble for yourself, and you're going to breed distrust for God and unbelief. And why isn't He doing anything? All right, it's a dangerous pattern to get into. We have one who, who has made great promises, but we have to be careful what they are. All right, Amen. All right. So those are the, the false signs that we want to avoid. And now he says, okay, here's, here's what the time is really going to look like. Be on your guard, for, you, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, why does Jesus point to these signs? Because these are not the signs the disciples wanted. These are not the signs that the disciples expected. When they heard, we're going to destroy the temple, they were, they were cheering for, all right, our, our day in the sun has come. The enemies will be destroyed. We will have our kingdom, and Jesus will reign supreme. And what is he saying? He's saying, yeah, there, there are signs. And the signs will entail your own call to suffer. And your call to be on mission. And your call to spread the good news. And your call to to be rejected by your own family, to be put in chains and put before kings and rulers so that you might proclaim the gospel. And that's where, all right, some of the signs of the time is suffering. I wish it were not the case. I wish it were not the case that, that we, are, we weren't promised suffering, but we are. These disciples, they are. They are given a great mission, and they are called to great suffering. All right, too often when we think about 
the future and what God is doing and the signs that he is going to do great things, uh, we have this, this heart that's saying, well, but you'll, you'll take me out of it. I'll be whisked up and, and, and removed from all of his suffering. No, you'll, you'll be part of it. You'll have a great mission in the midst of the suffering. You have great callings in the midst of the suffering. And this is not a call to just say, well, we'll throw up our hands and say, like, come, Lord Jesus, and I'm going to get down in my bunker and, and wait it out because the world is just so terrible. No, it's this call to be on mission. The disciples, they, they in some sense, they, they laid the foundation for this mission. They, they created this new era of the, the time of the Gentiles. And we now continue it. To be in the final days is to, is to be a suffering church. And those who would be persecuted in the name of Jesus Christ. We have no promise that the future merely holds blessing for us. What is the promise here? All right, these, are, these are great promises. That if we are put before people and we do not have the words to say, that we will be given the Holy Spirit who will give us words to speak. And that those who endure will be saved in the end. All right, these are our great promises. This is the, the beauty of, of those who, who do minister in the midst of suffering. We proclaim God's glory all the more. We get to show that God, God rises above suffering, that his glory is greater than the comforts of the world. Right. That is the times. We've been given this this great spirit. We've been given these promises of eternal life. All right, a story about this. Uh, so I knew this guy, and he asked me, "Do you believe it in the it's the last days?" And I said, "Yeah, well, I do believe it's the last days. Probably not in the same way you do, but." And he's like, "Well, good, because I'm like two hundred thousand dollars in debt." <laughs> and he's like, "The Lord needs to come really quickly," but I'm really convinced he is. All right. All right, if, if Jesus is your escape hatch for like just sheer foolishness and suffering that is your own doing or just, all right, that's not, that's not the, the heart that we have. All right. Yes, uh, we are actually called to, to endure and to be in the midst of suffering and to own it. And to live in the midst of it and have great faith and witness in the midst of it. Amen? All right. Now, uh, now that they have the signs, Jesus is going to tell them, okay, what is it actually going to look like? What's going to be the final sign and what is it going to look like when, the, when Jerusalem is destroyed, when this temple mount is leveled? And in this, I, I want to remind us, all right, why are we given prophecy? All right, we are not given prophecy so that theological nerds can argue about it. We are not giving prophecy so that we can have elaborate Bible studies or that we can argue with one another. There are things that are very clear that 
Jesus gives us prophecy so that we can actually heed it and we can be protected and, and be saved. That's what Jesus says. You should know the sign so that you can do something about it. And so he gives them very clear instructions so that they can protect themselves from the, the destruction that is to come, verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. All right, what is the abomination of desolation? Uh, Luke actually clarifies it. He says, there will come a time where you see Jerusalem surrounded by Roman troops. And they're going to come, and they're going to desolate the temple. And you need to hightail it out of there. All right, this is not the time to, to sit and wait. This is a time to heed the warning. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, or take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Alas, for women that, who are pregnant, or for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such a great tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. All right, uh, so he's saying this is, this is, there are terrible days and you can, you can run from them. You can do something about it. You can escape the coming judgment. You can escape the, the, this great tribulation if you heed the words. All right, what is this talking about? This is Jesus proclaiming the the true awfulness of the siege of Jerusalem in AD in 70 AD. All right, this is the the literal fulfillment what actually will take place in the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And it is it is truly awful. We have historical accounts from from Josephus, this Jewish uh, historian who kind of aligned himself with the Romans. And all right, just so we get some idea of what this is, like he he talks about the the piles of bodies heaped upon the altar, those who are dead, the women forced to cannibalize their own children. He speaks of when they, were, when they were come to the houses to plunder them, they found in them entire families of dead men, the upper rooms full of dead corpses, such as of, uh, that is of such as died from the famine. The Romans starved them out until they, they had been consumed by hunger. All right, so this one's pretty tough. Uh, they ran everyone through whom they met, and obstructed the very lanes with dead bodies, made the whole city run down with blood to such a degree that the fire of many houses was quenched with it. All right, this is awful. This is the, the awful reality of the judgment that Jesus is trying to protect his, his people from. This happened during the Passover. And so everyone had gathered to the city, and then they're just utterly destroyed. Josephus estimates 1.1 million people perished. All right, this is awful. 
And then you see the, the burning of the temple. The burning of the temple, the destruction of the temple. Uh, we have pictures of that. Yeah, so right, 2,000 years later, like here's, here's those same stones that were cast down. They're still sitting there because they're so giant. All right, the next one. We have the... All right, so this is, this is the temple as it was, this middle picture. We see this, like, these beautiful columns, and it's, it's surrounded. And All right, then we see the modern day. It's completely laid waste. All right, there is not a stone left of that original temple. The temple mount is destroyed. The temple itself, not a stone is left. And it was laid bare. All right, that's where, like, we're dealing with reality here. This is real historical fulfillment. And I, I say that to remind us that, all right, when Jesus prophesies, like, real things happen. This is probably the, the loftiest prophecy of Jesus, and, and we see it fulfilled to a T. Exactly. He says, within, within one generation, this is what's going to happen as the judgment against this temple and the dead religion and the self-righteousness and the pretending to love God but the hatred of God in the heart. Now, what does that mean for us? Right. We have great prophecies. Prophecies of the Lord coming and restoring, but also of him coming in judgment. And we have to recognize that just like we have this literal fulfillment here, Jesus is making real prophecies and speaking to his people and saying, heed the warning. Heed the warning. Verse 24. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of God coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Right? The destruction of Jerusalem, it was just this, it was this tiny picture of judgment, of, of the justice of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, you know what? The, the heavens are going to be torn apart and rolled up like a scroll. The real judgment will come. For us, we are waiting. That's, that's the, next, the next chapter. The days of, of the temple are over. We are now in this post-temple age. We are in the time of fulfillment, waiting for the Lord. Are you living like he's actually going to come? Are you living like this is real? That there's real judgment standing before us? Verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. 
And it was at one generation, the destruction of the temple had taken place. It had come to pass, we had entered this new age. And what are we now waiting for? We are waiting for the return of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus says, learn to read the signs. Learn to read the signs. Learn to know what era we are in, what what this life is about here and now. And thank the Lord that we live in a post-temple age. Because, all right, you and I, we get a new temple. We get a new temple. The temple that said, I will destroy this temple and raise one up on the third day. All right, Jesus Christ is our new temple. He is our our new king of glory. He's the one that we now go to to worship. And instead of this horror of of blood being spilled, the, the temple himself shed his own blood to wash us clean and invite us in. And we're not now ruled by these hypocrites and false teachers just trying to shame you and guilt you and, and one-up. No, we have this Lord who, who welcomes us in and says, yes, you are terrible sinners, but I've washed you clean with my blood. And I now, now welcome you in to worship in freedom and in joy under this canopy of grace and mercy and love to adopt you as children, to welcome you just as you are and to to renew you from the inside out, to change those dead hearts that just think of sacrifice and and death and, and restoring our hearts to joy and to fellowship with our Lord and to delight in a new kingdom. Right? That is the era we now live in. That is the temple we now go to. Because Jesus Christ, the, the temple, was destroyed on the cross and resurrected on the third day. Now, in Christ, as we are united to him by faith, we become the temple. All right, welcome to the temple. You are all gathered here as the temple, your living stones, and we are called, just like Jesus, not to sit and hunker down and, and wait for the coming judgment. No, we're, we're to go out into the, the four winds and gather the elect and welcome people to the temple of God to, to fellowship with him to the freedom of of grace and the blood of Christ. Let us not be the dead temple. Let us not be the hypocritical temple. Let's not come here and put on facades and, and fake our righteousness. Let us not be the the temple that needed to be destroyed. Let us be like the living temple of Christ. And let's go and bring him. Bring the world, the glory of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we know that in our heart of hearts, we can say these things and yet we can leave here and forget them. We can say, yes, yes, you're coming in glory and all that matters is you and all will matter is that day and and then we can turn aside and, and run after the kingdoms of the world and try to build our, our temples of self-righteousness and try to proclaim ourselves in all of our, our man-made holiness and glory. Father, would you forgive us? Would you remind us of the, the price that Jesus Christ paid? We thank you that there is only one way to escape the judgment and that it is the freedom of grace that is to be washed clean from sin and to simply put our faith in you. So, Father, would you give us faith? Would you give us faith in Christ? Would you work in us by the power of your Spirit? And would you save us? Father, from there, would you send us out? to proclaim the glory of Jesus and to offer that salvation uh, freely as we received it. We thank you for the, the promises that are to come. We ask that we might believe them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.